Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And uh, we're going to be talking about just a great subject today with Ron Kitchens. Ron, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. You know, one of my, I guess, theories, actually, I don't think it's a theory anymore, Ron. I think it has been statistically proven. Uh, You know, you can tell how much hot air is in an industry by just going into Amazon bookstore and Googling a term. And if I type in the word leadership, do you know that there's over 30,000 books and things that come up? Okay. Uh, It's crazy. And I think the leadership, the whole leadership industry has some serious problems. And Ron and I were just talking about this. And here's part of what it is. Everybody focuses on the latest hack or tip or trick. And they talk about the why, the what and the how. And there's definitely some important things in here. But there is a foundational piece that I think a lot of people miss. And that is we have to become the best version of ourselves. The thing that's missing is talking about who we are. Because Ron has been a very successful leader. Ron, let me just share a little bit of your background. CEO of Southwest Michigan First. You were named one of the best places to work by the Wall Street Journal, Outside Magazine, and Brightest and Best. I mean, that is awesome. And congratulations. I'll guarantee you, you've worked hard. And I've worked with, you know, I've been able to talk with some of your folks there. And just everybody I talk to on the phone, man, they're just filled with energy. They're having a blast, I can tell. Um, You're very highly respected and successful in what you've done. But you've also had quite a journey. You've had some pretty significant highs and lows we're going to talk about. You grew up in poverty, uh, son of teenage parents. You had dyslexia. Uh, There's been a lot of definitely things you've had to struggle through. And when you found your faith, you became very successful. But you also, and I'm going to talk about this, you know, just felt like a fraud and realized, or until you kind of realized, I think, the power of your story and these obstacles that you face and struggles that you went through actually had taught you some very valuable lessons. And you have a book coming out. It's called Uniquely You. And I think this is such an important topic to talk about this. So we're going to be digging into some of the areas of actually how do you connect to that authentic and true self that you were created to be. But before we do that, Ron, I would love to just turn it over for you and have people get to know you and just kind of share your story and your journey a bit. Thanks. That's awesome. You did a great job of the introduction and You know, for me, you know, I found myself, you know, at a point wildly successful, had everything that people define as success and lived in constant fear and anxiety that people would find out that I was a fraud, that, you know, I hadn't grown up rich. You know, neither of my parents finished the eighth grade. You know, my mom is 15 years older than me. My father is 16 my parents ran away, you know, to Mexico to get married because it was the only place they could legally do it. And my father died when I was four because he has the same form or had the same form of dyslexia that I have. And it was never diagnosed. He had to get his driver's license out to write his name down. And it took a very dangerous job and it cost him his life. But, you know, I had lived a life of success and had some incredible things happen. But you know, I thought that I had to be perfect. I looked around and saw what I now know is everybody else's highlight reel. And I assumed that they had grown up, you know, in the perfect beaver cleaver kind of family. And what I soon found out through two kind of back-to-back experiences was that I just wasn't willing to live in fear anymore. I just could not do it. And once I began to 
be transparent about my story and about what it's like to grow up in poverty, I found that people didn't reject me. They embraced me and that those became the cornerstones of building even greater success. What I had achieved then was nothing to what I was created to achieve, but I had to be honest with myself and quit trying to be a copy of whoever the latest success person was in my mind. And and that really is about the story of Uniquely You is understanding that we're all created with this unique sets of skills and experiences and leveraging those is what we were put on earth to do, not be copies of whoever's the latest popular, you know, person on the cover of People magazine. You know, that's such an important point. And I want to go back a little bit. So question for you. You grew up with really young parents. You're basically, you know, raised by your mom with your dad passing away so young. She's just, you know, 15 years older than you. And going through high school, now you had mentioned that you got elected to office, public office at 21. And I would love to kind of share maybe what were some of the things that were shaping, you know, how you were seeing yourself at that time, you know, why you were making some of the decisions. Because I'm guessing there was, until you kind of almost got in uh, alignment or I don't know if that that word is overused, right? Almost kind of accepting really kind of who you were at the core versus what was expected of you. Probably those two different worlds drives decisions, doesn't it? It does. And for me, you know, I intended to go to college and play college football. And I got injured in the first week. So there was going to be no college football. There was going to be no college scholarship. Mm. And so I got very lucky that a mentor kind of grabbed me by my, you know, by the collar of my shirt and said, there's a different path. And really it was a vision he put into my heart. And he said, let me tell you what your future looks like. Your future looks like you're going to borrow money. You're going to go to college you don't have any margin, so your car is going to break down. You're going to go get a loan for, to fix the car, and then you're going to start taking less classes because you got to work more to pay off the loan. And the next thing you know, you're going to get some girl pregnant, and you're going to quit college, and you're going to be the most popular guy on the assembly line at the fan plant on the edge of town. And he said, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so he helped me go into business. So now when you heard that, what was your first thought? Like this guy's uh, trying to help me or he's kind of, wow, that's kind of bold. No, it was clear to me. He was speaking the truth. Mm. hundred percent clear to me because I could look around my hometown and see the people that had happened to Mm. and that, you know, went away for school and then literally, you know, got, had an unplanned pregnancy or, you know, dropped out of school to do something and never went back and ended up in less than great jobs. Mm -hmm. And he said, so I'm going to help you. So a group of mentors came around me. I ended up buying a convenience store from one of them. But the deal was they would help me as long as I stayed in school, had to take at least one class in college during breaks, during every chance there was to take class, I had to take a class. And it took eight years to graduate from college, but I graduated from college and was in business, was very successful. Well, at 21, I looked around and realized none of my friends who had left town to go to school could ever come back. There weren't any jobs. 
Mm. And I knew growing up that everybody who had what I wanted had one thing in common. Their families had jobs. And, you know, I grew up where, you know, the social service check came on the third of every month and our entire family life was built around that check showing up on the third. And, you know, if it was late or for some reason, you know, we didn't get it. It was a huge crisis. And so I ran for office because I wanted to create a world where my friends could come home. And I don't know if I was lonely. I don't know if I just wanted better for people. But I knew that if I can't help enough people get jobs, that it's the old Zig Ziglar saying, if you can have anything you want in this world, if you just help enough other people get what they want. Right. And that became the driving force for me. And I discovered then this idea of economic development and how communities, how business, philanthropy, and government could come together around building a model that creates jobs, that changes communities, that really impacts people to their core. Wow, what a fantastic focus. And what did you learn during that period as you were in office and looked at the community and said, wow, to, what's it really, you're an entrepreneur, I mean, you're going to school, you have mentors, you're running a convenience store, you have a lot going on here. And I know there's a lot of people around the world listening that can relate because they have these dreams of living a life where the use of their life outlives their life, right? Creating an impact, empowering people. They have a vision for their company, but they also want that company to play a larger role in the world that they're a part of. Yeah, I think for me, it's multiple lessons. It One is age doesn't have anything to do with your ability to lead. And so, you know, I was elected and I was lucky that a friend who was a couple of years older had also been elected previously. And so it was a year ahead of me. And so it gave me some confidence that I might not have had if I'd have been the first one in the room. But, you know, everybody else was either retired or close to being retired. Uh, it was older men who it was I was a little intimidated by. But, you know, I got really lucky that they never treated me as a kid. And so when you're in the room and you see how other really smart people who you value make decisions, if you're willing to learn from them, it's the best education I think you can get is being open to learn from others. But it also, I figured out how much impact I could truly have. And it was overwhelming. You know, there's a quote that says, never doubt that a group of thoughtfully committed individuals can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. It's a Margaret uh, Mead quote. And I learned that that in reality is true. If you just get enough small group of people together who come around a decision, you can absolutely change the world. And so I think that was one of those things I've always carried with me. But then it's this idea of responsibility. Just to go back a little bit, right after my father died, a year or so after my father died, a group mm -hmm. of men from a church that we didn't attend brought a box of food to our door. And in that box was a can of mandarin oranges. And this can of mandarin oranges has become my life kind of symbol. You know, at that time, we were hungry and I were eating pinot beans, it was Christmas. And this was like a miracle 
But this can also said to me that somebody loves me, somebody out there. And I don't know why or who they are in a time where my life was always in chaos and turmoil. As a child, there were people out there that cared. And the can became that symbol for me. And the can went bad. And long story short, my mom brought another can home and I went to put it in the cabinet. And she said, no, 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 no. You put that on your desk as a constant reminder of the price of a lack of education. And so throughout school, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, there's a can of mandarin oranges always on my desk. And there's a can of mandarin oranges in the three offices that I have today. All of our employees, their first week or so at work, are going to get a can of mandarin oranges. And I'm going to talk to them about having symbols to remind you of your responsibilities. But to me, that goes beyond that education. That's not my issue today. It's remind me that I have a responsibility to serve people, even if I don't know who they are. I have a responsibility to you know, be those three men from a church we didn't attend who not only fed us that day, but whose love and grace have propelled my life. And if I can do that for other people, that really, to me, is my ultimate responsibility. Yeah, I love that, having that symbol to remind you. And, you know, it also talks about just that power that you can have in other people's lives like you're doing right now, Ron. When you actually reach out and serve others and care about them and put your agenda aside, I'm just thinking about when you were young and they bring this box of food, which meant so much to your family at the time, they probably had no idea how that was going to be used as a symbol that has now moved you forward and shaped how you show up in this world for the rest of your life. No, that's exactly right. And I think too many of us want immediate instant gratification for our leadership or the good works that we do. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to write a check and get a tote bag. You know, we want that immediate validation. And most of the work that we do that has real long-term sustainable impact, we may not ever be under the shade of the tree we plant. And we have to be good with that. And actually, we have to be hungry for that if we really, truly want to be the leaders that I think God created us to be. Yeah, and your mantra that you shared with me is always forward. What's the importance of that mantra, always forward, Ron? It is could easily be said of never be satisfied. And I think a lot of us in leaders, particularly folks who grew up in poverty or grew up in homes that had low expectations, you reach a certain point and you quit growing because you don't know what to do after that. So I equate it to being in a cul-de-sac in the most beautiful neighborhood imaginable. All the lawns are green and well mowed. The homes are beautiful. You're in a great luxury car, but you're driving around the cul-de-sac endlessly. You're putting lots of miles on the car, but you're not actually getting anywhere. But I think our leadership and our lives get there because we don't know what to do next. We don't spend enough time thinking about what's our calling. What do we do when we've achieved our greatest goals and we don't know what we want? And so my coaching to other leaders and my reminder to my own team is you always have to go forward. Even if you're in an uncertain path, 
don't spend your life driving around a beautiful cul-de-sac because you think motion equals action. Go forward. Do things because that's where you're going to discover your next purpose, the next dream that God has put into you that you just haven't seen materialize yet. So, you know, somebody's listening around right now and they're in that spot, right, where they don't know what to do next or maybe they really haven't connected to maybe their calling, their purpose, what they should be doing now. When we're in that place of ambiguity, how do I stop going in circles and start get back on the road and drive toward a destination that has something that's compelling for me again? Yeah, I think there's a quote, and I don't remember who originally said it, but it's, you know, not all who wander are lost. Mm-hmm. And it might be a Shakespeare quote, but you got to go get lost. You got to wander. If you've achieved everything that you can imagine achieving, then you've got to put yourself in an environment that is stimulating for you. And for some people, that's being in the hustle and bustle of a big city and seeing and smelling and tasting and doing different things. For others, it's an open road or sitting on a mountaintop. But you've got to find what environment that you can put yourself in. And each of us know what that environment is. Put yourself in to then be open to new changes and new opportunities. Too many of us like the status quo. And, you know, the status quo was created to make you below average. So there's nothing that's status quo that is better than average because it's the status quo. But the reality is, is the day that mark was set, um, death started taking in. We started declining. The market moved away from us. And people weren't put on this earth They weren't put in the roles they're in to maintain a below average life. But it feels good to be in that cul-de-sac when everything is easy, but nothing great ever happened in easy. And so I think the key is you've got to do it. Don't go copy what I do because that isn't unique to you. You've got to find your own unique thing. And we spend a lot of time coaching and working with leaders. We have about 6,000 people a year who go through one of our different leadership events. And that is the biggest, I think, thing that always surprises me. And it happens to most of the people in it is they realize that they're stuck in, in average. They're stuck in the status quo and they're hungry for something else that they're then manifesting that hunger into, in a lot of cases, unhealthy behaviors, whether it's food or drugs or looking at things online that aren't appropriate. They're doing things because they don't know what else to do to satisfy their drive and goal to be incredible. And so it's hard work, but it's worth it. Yeah. And Ron, um, the leadership events that you do, could you say a little bit more about that? I'm sure there are some people out there that would probably be very interested in that part of uh, what you guys are doing. Yeah, so we do uh, our largest events, a two-day conference called Catalyst University. It is mostly, uh, it feels like a rock concert and a leadership event blended together. And, you know, we bring in, we're very thoughtful about curating who it is you know, the uh, let's see this year, but John A. Cup's coming. John's actually become a great friend. And mm. so John will be mm-hmm. with us. So 11 speakers throughout the course of the time together. But it really is about putting people in an environment where they're getting challenged and stimulated 
on going forward. And then the other work that we do is around um, cohort-based development. So, you know, we've got a program now for uh, high-performance individuals called First 50, where we marry 50 emerging leaders with 50 existing leaders. And emerging doesn't mean young and existing doesn't mean old, but then we marry them from outside of industries. So we recently had the minister of a high growth church mentoring a retailer, small retailer. And what they learned from each other is incredible. I mean, they both kind of reported back that it was these great aha moments And so we're doing those. We do a lot of internal work with groups all over the country. We have about 300 client groups in really all of North America that we work with on growing their companies, particularly around innovation and their marketing and sales processes. Now, that's fantastic. I love that. And I hope some people plug in just real quick. What's your website? How do people, you know, connect with you? Yeah, ronkitchens.com. We'll get them there and and we'll get them directed to all the different things. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. When you factor in all the hours it takes to read a single book, it's really an investment. Or if you're like John and listen to audiobooks, even at 1.5 speed, that's even more time. I just downloaded Eric Metaxas' Bonhoeffer on Audible and it's almost a 23-hour long book. Well, John and I are big fans of a book summary service called Blinkist. Blinkist has a library of more than 2,500 of the top books on the market. Most of them can be read in less than 15 minutes. So imagine taking all the key thoughts and stories of a book and distilling it down into a 15-minute read. That's what Blinkist does. Whether you're interested in leadership, marketing, entrepreneurship, personal development, sales, management, motivation, psychology, economics, finance, self-help, even marriage, parenting, history, and more, Blinkist has something for just about everyone. If you click the link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink, that's eternalleadership.com slash blink, you can try them for a seven-day free trial. And if you subscribe by clicking that affiliate link, it's a great way to help get a great service and help support the cost of editing and hosting this podcast. So go to eternalleadership.com slash Blink to check out Blinkist. Thanks. Perfect. Now, um, what formed this sincere and passionate focus for you on leadership as a role of serving others? You know, I think it came from not having... Uh, real male influence in my life. And so, and being hungry for learning. And so constantly going out and learning and asking questions, meeting people. And what I realized one day was that it didn't matter where you were from or what your background was. The greatest thing we could do for organizations, for individuals is become miracle grow for their leadership to help them understand what exactly they had going for them and how their company could be more profitable, their church could have better attendees, their not-for-profit would raise more money if we invested in the leader and in those leadership groups. And so it was a way that we can help create more jobs 
you know, Gallup tells us that, you know, highly engaged, highly effective organizations are 30 to 40 percent more profitable than their peers who aren't. So the greatest way I can help companies create jobs is, is uh, increase their profitability and thus decrease the vulnerability that individuals have who work for them. So, you know, it really no organization ever got weaker when their leaders get stronger. And I really do want people to go to bed at night and knowing that they have a God who loves them. They have a future that's bright because of their work and that they have the opportunity to be better tomorrow than they are today. And if we can do that, that's power that no one can ever take away from somebody. No, that is so true. And just accepting that is a truth for some people is quite a shift in mindset in, you know, our past in things that have happened to us, right? Our successes, our failures. And I think for a lot of us, I know myself working through a number of things as I've, uh, I guess, matured and been on this journey in my own identity, realizing that there was things how I've perceived, you know, outcomes of circumstances, things that have been said to me. I believe at one point, right, you had a counselor that told you don't even bother applying to college because, you know, all these things that are said to us speak into us and start to form this view that we have of ourselves. And, you know, you wrote something to me that I so agree with, right, that God uses some of our most painful moments for good. It actually shapes us and if we actually look at some of these things in our past and realize, you know what, these are treasures that have equipped and prepared us for our calling and what we're meant to be doing right now in this season. It's about kind of coming to grips to our own story and seeing that as a strength. And I'd love for you to share, Ron, a little bit about how you did that yourself and how you help maybe other people look at some of the things that they've been through, how they view themselves and use that to actually kind of propel them into a different future. Yeah, thanks. So you're dead on that. You know, for me, you know, I mentioned that my father had dyslexia and I have dyslexia, which I always knew that I was smart, but I never passed a spelling test in my entire life. It's never going to happen. It's not who I am. <laughs> but I thought it was because I was dumb. Mm. And so, you know, in elementary school, you know, you got all the words right. You know, you got a candy bar or something. I never got one. And everybody else would get one and I would feel dumb. And no matter how much work I did, I was never going to do that. Well, I go through college, through all these years, and I can't graduate from college because they require that freshman English, you had to be able to spell 100 words in a spelling test which is a dumb thing for college to do. They don't do it anymore. But I took the class three times and could not pass the class because of this spelling test. So finally, a graduate student who was teaching the class asked me to stay late, said we went through all the definitions of the words. And it's clearly you're not dumb. But, you know, I'd spent my whole life worried that they were going to put me in the special education class. And I have a cousin who is developmentally disabled, uh, fairly competent, but as we would call it before, mentally retarded. And I was terrified that I was going to be put in the same class with him. And so I would hide that I was struggling. So I get to college. I can't pass this. Graduate student finally says, I think there's something wrong. You should go get tested. 
And so she walked me over to the testing center at the university, and lo and behold, I get diagnosed with dyslexia. And so I learned two lessons from that. One is that dyslexia is actually my superpower. I see patterns, and I see um, the future better than anyone I have ever been around. And the people who have the type of dyslexia I have, Richard Branson is kind of the most famous of those, um, all have the same ability. You just see patterns where others just, they don't see them because they're reading the words and we have to do it differently. But then the other one was never let anybody else's rules keep you from succeeding. And had I just gone and challenged at any time that the spelling test was a bad idea, somebody would have discovered what I had and I would have saved decades of pain and feeling inferior just because I couldn't ask for help and I couldn't acknowledge my own difference. And so we work with a lot of leaders on this idea that you know, the status quo is not our friend. It's not set up for you to be successful. You've got to challenge that and go beyond that and figure out where you're going to thrive. And that's unique to you. You can't copy anybody else's um, path. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, working with emerging leaders, which doesn't mean young. I've known a lot of 50-year-olds who just never had a chance to lead, who have that power in them. We just have to help them mature those skills, you know, we've got to be able to say, you know, what do you want? Now, let's figure out what that path looks like. Don't go copy somebody else's path. You know, their map might get them to San Francisco, but you're going to LA. You can't follow their map and end up where you want to be. You know, there's an important point in there, right? When you said, what do you want? And you know what, when we really haven't, I think, reconciled I'll never forget, uh, as I was kind of going through this process, I said to a coach I was working with, Ron, I got to figure out how I'm wired to figure out what I should be doing next. And he said, I think you should ask yourself that a little bit differently. He goes, what if you asked yourself how God wired you and what did he wire you for? And because here's what I realized I was doing is I was writing down some of those things that I thought I should be doing, places that I felt like maybe that would be a place of me thriving, like you mentioned. I was listening to the voice of all these other people that had these expectations on me or what I thought I should be doing and everything I would kind of write down as I brainstorm or kind of put some dreams on the paper. I'd run it through this filter of would this impress other people? Would this, you know, get their affirmation, their acknowledgement? I was not running it through. Does that connect to something God put on my heart? Does that move me toward a future that I want to be part of versus I think that others want me to be a part of? Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, when I uh, I think of that, my wife, um, Lynn, who you know, we've been married for almost three decades now, the uh, she has a degree in recreation therapy, has advanced degree in recreation therapy, never had a single good day at work never had a good day at work, never wanted to be a recreation therapist. Literally, a friend of her father's, when she was a senior in high school, said, you should be a recreation therapist. That's how she ended up doing it. But because nobody ever said, 
what do you want? And let's talk through what that is. So she ended up in a career that she never enjoyed. And too many of us in our lives end up doing things that we never enjoy because somebody put their dream on our heart. Somebody, you know, society told us what we have to do. Uh, We're trying to meet other expectations or worse yet, we never made a conscious decision about it. And it just happened to us. And um, none of us were put on this planet to just be happened to. But if you don't spend the time knowing what you want, you'll never be happy because you never achieve true success. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. But I will tell you, I believe this issue that we have that, you know, Americans are the most drugged people in the world with anti-anxiety and anti-depression medicine and not that some people don't need that truly and they don't serve an important purpose. But there's a lot of people who are unhappy and anxious because they never made decisions about what would make them happy. So if you never know where the end of the race is, you never hit cross the finish line. So you have no validation that what you're doing is important. And so it's critically important to leaders to know that the fight we're fighting is important and it's something we want, not something that just happened to us. Yeah, and I think that level of stress that we feel and why it's so acute today, right? It's driven by that gap between that real self or, you know, maybe the person that you see in the mirror, your understanding of who you are and what you should be doing versus that ideal self. And that is that person who's actually operating in that place where they're thriving in that path that God has them on. And, you know, question for you. So, you know, people listening, I'll guarantee you there's some people out there, there, there's probably a pretty significant sunk cost right into your wife getting her degree or somebody who's gotten an engineering or a finance degree, or they went to the trades and they're working in a certain industry and they're like, wow, this is not it. And it sounds to me like you're giving permission to people to say, you know what, it's okay to let go of all this time and money and life that you've invested to actually explore taking a pivot in your life. Absolutely. You know, we get so concerned about the initial sunk cost that we forget the cost of money over time, the cost of joy over time, the cost of success over time. And, you know, it's the old saying that, you know, First thing when you're doing is if you find yourself on a dead horse is get off. (laughs) Don't keep beating the horse to try to get it to run faster. And, you know, people who have joy in their life, in their business, in their families are people who are making conscious decisions to live a life uniquely geared towards them not something that society cast upon them, not something that a decision you made when you're 18 or 19 or 20 is got to be something you commit to when you're 50. I mean, it does. there's nothing in our lives that we would say makes sense to do that, but we do it all the time unknowingly. So, I mean, my goal is for people to have an amazing life because people who are amazing – give to their church. They coach their kids' programs. You know, they're not dealing with addiction problems. There's a whole litany of things that are negative because of a decision we made and we're sticking with it 
whether it was right for us or whether it was a decision we actually made ourselves or not. <laughs> it just reminds me of a funny story. I remember I was telling my son this just yesterday. I was in youth group in high school, and one of the guys, we were doing a mission trip as a youth group, and one of the counselors there, I asked him you know, what he did. He said he was an electrical engineer. I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, you'll learn how a computer works at a subatomic level. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. So I went to college for electrical engineering. I had one course in four years on actually the physics of semiconductors, which is actually how a computer actually works at the subatomic level. And the rest of it, I'm like, man, I can't do this as a career. I've actually never had a job as an electrical engineer in my whole life, Ron. See, that's that. You know, you read it a, a bit, somebody said it, and you went, okay, well, that's who I am. And we all do that in our youth. We do that in every part of our lives, but we can't. But you had enough forethought into saying, okay, I'm going to get a degree in this, but there's a whole lot else I can do with my life. And too many of us don't because we see somebody else's highlight reel and go, well, they stuck it out and they had that success. So if I stick it out, I'll have that success. Oh, it's not true. They're successful because they're unique and amazing. And you're going to be a bad copy of them. Well, so what is it you were made? Yeah, make? now think about this. I had this dream, right? I had this idea of some, when I was a kid that I wanted to be a fighter pilot. So I was in my engineering program. I applied to go Navy ROTC to go into flight school. And in 1986, Top Gun came out. I was a just finished up my sophomore year in high school. And I remember watching that movie, and I had a very different reaction than probably everybody else in the theater because that had been my goal, my dream. I was seeing it live on the screen, and I had this overwhelming just almost despair that that was not me. It was so in conflict with how I saw myself, my identity, my limiting beliefs. Everything was bubbling to the surface. I actually went back to college and we had to apply to, you know, where we wanted to go in the Navy. And I didn't even put aviation down on. I actually, that movie, I completely gave up on my dreams. And I was in such conflict. And thank goodness I had some amazing mentors in my life, my father and some other people, and just encouraged me. Like, John, if this is a dream of yours, don't give up on it. Like you said, just, you know, always forward, Ron, is your mantra. Like, hey, move yep. forward into it. And then if you get there and fail, that's very different than not trying and failing. It's going to affect your whole life. And because of that encouragement, I actually, I had missed every deadline to apply for aviation. And I went to the commanding officer of our ROTSA unit and I said, I think I really want to do this. And I know I've missed everything. And I was expecting him to say, yeah, sorry. He goes, you know what? I'll help you. And that man, his name is Ron DeHamer, thankfully helped me get everything lined up. And I ended up getting accepted into flight school and went through. And absolutely, that was an area that I absolutely thrived. But I almost missed that entire season of my life and that experience because letting stuff in my past define who I thought I was in the present. And it was flawed. And I think what you're talking about is so powerful, especially if we can do it in community like you do with these cohorts and the leadership conferences to come around people and help them to, I'm a big fan of uh, taking small steps, right? And if I can just take that next small step forward toward being that person I was created to be, it's amazing what that unleashes in somebody's life. 
you're dead on. And the, the power of that dream and how little it takes to kill a dream sometime, which is why it's critically important of those of us who have achieved measures of success step in and go walk side by side with emerging leaders, just like your dad did, just like that commanding officer did to say, I believe in you. And if this dream is in your heart, I want to be there to support you, eat whatever that means. But most of us don't have that in our life. And if where people have it, you know, particularly those who grew up, you know, in less than ideal families, you know, maybe your dream is bigger than anybody around you has ever had. And so their times are, you know, are soul crushing because they don't know how to help you. So they manifest it negatively. And so you've got to put yourself in environments where you've got people who believe in you, want to lift you up and can see greatness in you that you don't even know. You couldn't recognize it if you saw it. But that's how we're going to that's how this generation helps serve the next generation. Man, love that. Love what you're doing. Hey, just as we wrap up here, what are just uh, so people can plug in ronkitchens.com and what are just some final thoughts? Uh, The book is uniquely you. It's coming out. Uh, You guys can get it anywhere you buy books. Um, But what final thoughts, Ron, do you have just to leave with everybody? We were all created to be unique and different. You know, if we weren't created to be different, God wouldn't have given us all different fingerprints. Our irises are all unique and different. We have to embrace that we live in a world that values unique, authentic people and devalues copies. So if you want to be a person of value as impact and influence, you have to uniquely embrace your assets, not try to be the best you know, John Acuff or John Maxwell or Ron Kitchens, you can be, be the best you. Be the best you. I love it. Ron, I'd love to stay in touch and please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you back on and thank you for your time. And that was just a, I just have this feeling there's somebody out there that just needed to hear this today and go plug in with somebody, go find a coach, talk to somebody who can be a mentor, go to a conference like Ron puts on, you know, get some resources in your life to start reshaping and I want you to know and I realize this going through my accident that we are absolutely have the ability to completely rewrite the script of our life and I didn't realize I was able to do that until I had my accident which everybody here knows about and that was a pivotal moment for me so thank you Ron Uh, man I appreciate you and what you're doing big time oh thank you I appreciate you and anything we can do to serve please reach out you got it 